Amen. So we've been on this journey through this Lenten season and um, <coughs> Lent is coming to an end. Easter's around the corner. Uh, but through this time I've been teaching and talking about emotions and the emotional cup and how God has made provision for us, firstly in giving us emotion, they're absolutely vital to us, but also he's given us wisdom and ways in which to process and remove painful emotion from our cup such that we would have a heart that is yielded and tender towards him for his greater purpose. And so today we're looking at the last two layers. We've done hurt, we've done anger, and last week we did fear. Well, today we've got a, a double whammy, double blessing for you today. We're looking at guilt and shame. Super exciting, hey. Woo, there's a woo and an awe goes through the congregation. Well, Lord, help us in this. Because the Lord wants us to be free of these things. And yet they're a significant issue to us, to all people for that matter. And these two in particular are all too familiar, like familiar friends who turn up too readily. Some of us might have had a, a background in the church where sadly the church has used these against us, almost to threaten us into holiness. That's not my gospel. I don't think it's the Lord's gospel either. It doesn't change or transform us. Having said that, guilt, the first one we're looking at, guilt is a vital and healthy emotion. In fact, the more attuned we are to our guilt, the more spiritual health we have. When we do something that contradicts God's law, in other words, when we act without love, because all the law is summed up, the law and the prophets in these two commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So when we act unloving, in my language, when we fail to meet the relational need, we either by neglecting or giving people the opposite of what they need, we feel guilty. Guilty as charged. If we don't feel guilty, it's actually a sign that there's something wrong with us. Not just the act ourselves, but there's a lack of conviction or perhaps compassion. I would suggest to you that if we are truly to, you know, as we've sung and prayed, to open our hearts up and to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to God himself, then we will have a heightened awareness of sin in our lives. In fact, it's a good prayer that we would hate sin and invite the Holy Spirit to help us in this. But God is already at work in that, even before we choose to open our heart more fully to him. That is the ongoing work of the Spirit through Christ. And I would say part of my own, in my own story, my <coughs> when I, well, when I say when I finally, I don't think we ever finally resolve all this in terms of our surrender to Christ, but when I, kind of in my mid-twenties, chose to say, I receive you, Lord, as Lord and Savior, it came out of a deep sense of conviction of sin, of brokenness, of need, of a lack of ability to do it myself, and an extreme sense of gratitude that, I, that God had done it for me, and how can I not respond to him? Now, there are two dimensions to guilt. Two dimensions, it's important that we experience both, the rational and the emotional, the head 
and the heart. The rational is that sense of understanding I did something wrong. Shortly after I arrived here, just a little over 30 days after I arrived here, I was pulled up by the police. And it was made known to me rationally that I had done something wrong. And I was given a ticket. Failure to register my vehicle within 30 days. My appeals for mercy fell on deaf ears. After all, we'd been through a, a, a one in ten year storm, I'd been told. Power had been out for four days. We'd had to travel back to Texas. All of this meant nothing to the wonderful police officer. But I knew in my head I'd done something wrong. Sometimes, and uh, I've got a lot better at this, but I know early in my life when I was so bent out of shape and so um, tied up with stuff that was unresolved in my emotional cup, it would be easy for me to unleash on Carol or our children when things weren't going my way and I was angry and frustrated. That, too, is unloving. doesn't matter what we're going through. And in that moment, you feel, I felt the pain of that. You see, there's an emotional feeling to our sin and our wrongdoing because we realize that it hurts people. It's not just that I did something wrong and I was caught. It's the fact that I've hurt people when we fail to love. And we hurt the Lord himself because he is so much a part of all of us that he feels the pain of that. And this is, I think, what Paul is referring to when he speaks about godly sorrow. He says there's a godly sorrow that produces repentance leading to salvation. Or maybe as David pronounced in the psalm that we read, he spoke about a broken and contrite heart. It's when we come to that place of brokenness of our own wrongdoing. And contrition, repentance, a desire to change, to turn, to be something different, something better. But we feel the pain of our sin in terms of how it has affected others, God and other people. And part of God's working in my life, in actually to bring me to a greater sense of freedom and healing of my own hurts, and the removal of my guilt and shame, as we're going to talk today, was a revelation to me through the spirit of my own arrogance, of my pride and self-reliance, of the competitiveness that marked and shaped so much of my life out of a desperate need to be noticed and approved of and valued, of the ways in which I had hindered Carol's spiritual life by failing to love her and encourage her in that part of her life. And even today as I talk about that, I feel tears because of what we missed with one another and how hurtful that was to the Lord. You see, part of our spirit, our very identity that comes alive in God increasingly is our conscience. And we all have a conscience. It's our conscience that helps us distinguish and triggers the emotion of guilt when we do something wrong. And our conscience can act apart from our minds, thank goodness. We may not understand something, but we feel it and we're triggered in our conscience. And we can become sensitive to God's ways. And that is an important part of our growth as believers and our maturing and our ability to process our guilt well. Today, the writer to the Hebrews says, 
The, the day is today. Don't put this off. But today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness. They missed God's rest. They missed God's best. The people of God. And we will do the same if we harden our hearts to our own brokenness and sinfulness. So the invitation is to, to keep hearts that are pliable, that are soft, that are tender towards God and His people and quickly recognize when things have gone wrong. This is what we're given through the new birth. This is what we're given as we enter into connection with the Holy Spirit. He's there for this. I love the psalmist who says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Do you have that passion and desire for the word of God? Both the word revealed through the Spirit and the word written in his book. Because it comes from without, but it's given to us through the new birth. And the word begins to take flesh in us just as it did in Jesus of Nazareth. Now there is one antidote for guilt. Remember, there's one antidote for all of these. For hurt, what do we need? Pop quiz. What do we need for hurt? C comfort. We need comfort which comes through the compassion of people and God. What do we need to do with our anger? Let it go. Let it go. Let it nope, nope, don't start. Don't start. <laughs> anger, we have to forgive the offender which means we let it go, we release it. Now, we need people to comfort the pain, but ultimately, anger has to be forgiven. Fear, perfect love, casts out all fear. It's the caring involvement of others being less alone. And for guilt, it's none of those. What we need is confession. Confess your sins to one another, James says, and pray for one another. Then you shall be, well, we read healed. We could read saved. It's all part of the same root. That's when we enter into life. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, John writes in his first letter. Confession has to, sorry, guilt has to be confessed, which literally means I agree. I agree with God and I agree with others. I did something unloving. And it's amazing when we do that. The guilt leaves Time doesn't remove guilt. We need to confess old guilt as well as new. Changing our behavior does not remove guilt. Trying harder, we still need to confess. Suffering the consequences of our wrongdoing does not remove our guilt. We still need to confess and acknowledge and care about the impact of those things. Even the person we offend who forgives us does not remove our guilt. We have to agree and bring ourselves to a place of brokenness that we have hurt and ask for mercy and forgiveness. How often are we meant to confess? We know that question of how often should I forgive? 70 times 7. Well, it's an ending. Well, confession is pretty much the same. Basically, every time you're aware that you did something wrong. Acknowledge it. And we probably need to do it more than we're doing. Worked with a, 
uh, a young lady who would say, she was actually a, a to-be CEO of a largest company. She said, if, if I've gone a couple of weeks with my kids and not confessed, I am probably due. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. The byproduct of confession is healing. It is salvation. It is new life. It is joy. It is capacity to experience all the positive things we yearn for. So what does a good confession look like? I spend a lot of time working with people to help reconcile. And the heart of reconciliation has to be very good confession. Now, generally, the scope of my confession should equate to the scope of the offense. What I mean by that, if we aren't openly offending people, we've done things that people are unaware of, you don't have to go openly talking about that. In fact, you can make matters worse. But you do need to do that with God, because with Him everything is open. And that's really important. If you upset your spouse as you're driving along because of something you say or do, and the kids are in the back, you, do, you need to confess not just to your wife, but to your children. That is open, and they're affected by that. <laughs> Still with me? Who's not guilty of that? Not many arms up, are there? But sometimes we forget about the young ones. And as, we see, as we'll see later when we talk about shame and condemnation, we take as young people on so many wrong signs and lies. Now, secondly, let's take the initiative to confess before we're confronted. That's always good. Search my heart, O oh God. Show me if there's any way in me that is not loving. This is the cry of the psalmist. This is the cry of David. It should be our cry too. Now it's okay to confront lovingly, but it's even better for us to initiate our confession first. Now, once we get to the point of dealing with it, four key things. First of all, be very specific about what you did wrong. Name the sin. Don't say things like, well, if I've done anything that's upset you, I'm really sorry. This is where the language of relational needs. I realized when I said that, that was very disrespectful. Bordering on abusive. That's very specific. And it gives great encouragement to the hearer, the one offended, that you genuinely do understand. At least the rational side of it. And they're waiting for the emotional side too. Secondly, or number four in our list, take responsibility. That means, guys, we've got to use those three little words in the same sentence consecutively. I was wrong. Practice after me. I was wrong. You see, you can't do it, can you? You don't like to say those three words, do you? Let's be honest. Pride kicks in. Surely not. Surely someone else is to blame. In fact, I was wrong is much better than I'm sorry. And please, 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 leave out the buts. I was wrong, but did you realize what I was having to do? Do you realize what you just did? Did you realize? Let me tell you. We cut the legs off of our confession the moment we do that and we get defensive. And it shows actually we're more concerned for ourselves than the other person. That is a big problem. <laughs> Do not justify or defend yourself. 
own it. Next one, care about the hurt. This is the emotional side of guilt. This is, I am convicted, but I feel compassion towards you because I realize my actions hurt you. Because sin always hurts because it's a lack of love. And pain is the consequence of lack of love, unmet need. And so, comfort the pain. Powerful when we do that. So reassuring to the one offended that not only do we understand this, but we care about the person. We're not just trying to get off the hook like the child who says, I'm sorry, can I have some ice cream now? Let's move on quickly. No. Because ultimately you want them, which is the final bit, ask for forgiveness. You want them to forgive you because they've got to do that to remove their anger, frustration. But if I've comforted the underlying pain, they're much more empowered and encouraged to do that. And we must wait for forgiveness. We must not demand forgiveness. We cannot take it of one another. I've said, I'm sorry, you've got to forgive me. No, that really doesn't help an awful lot. Because you may need to do more comforting. It's about the restoration of the person in order that you may experience deeper connection with one another. So, that's guilt for us. Hope that's helpful. Moving swiftly on. Condemnation or shame is another good word for this. You know, in life, there are numerous, well, there are hundreds of emotions. There are positive emotions that God has created us to experience. Happiness, joy, hopefulness, love, peace, all of these things. And there are painful emotions like we've spoken of. We do get embarrassed. We get hurt. We get frustrated. We feel lonely. But there is one emotion we feel that is the most heart-wrenching, debilitating emotion I believe God never wants us to experience. And it's the emotion of shame and condemnation. He did not create us for it. But there's one who wants us to feel it. To be judged unfit or to be deemed somehow worthless is never ever a part of God's plan or purpose. It is never the truth. Because God created you for glory. God created you in His image, in His image and blessed you. We need a greater appreciation of original blessing than we do of original sin. Because that's what God is recovering and redeeming and recreating. That's what we're created and destined for. And yet we think we can't do anything right. We're never as good as so-and-so. We're terrible people. It's always my fault. I'm really unworthy of her or his love. And it's like, they're like barnacles on the, the hull of a ship. They just stick to us. And we can't seemingly get rid of them. And it's part of the Satan's strategy. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. And he accuses us of being no good. And sometimes that accusation comes to us from other people. Sometimes it comes to us from within ourselves. But it never comes from the Lord. Ask Carol if she would come and share a little bit of a testimony around this. Because it's so much better to hear her voice than mine.
So Mike asked me to speak on this, um, and it's kind of hard because it was so impactful in my life. Um, I was eight years old, and in my elementary school, which was a Church of England elementary school, once a week we would have, um, I suppose they would call it a scripture lesson, and, and the vicar or the pastor of the village church would come into the school and give us this lesson. And I vividly remember this day, I remember where I was sitting at the front, on the front row of this classroom, and he asked a question at the beginning of the lesson. And he said, um, most of you will know this little rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And he said, who believes that to be true? And I just immediately put up my hand. And uh, I was the only one in the classroom to put up my hand. And he looked at me and he said, Carol Daggett, you wicked girl. And he smiled and laughed and looked at my teacher. I remember him looking at her. But I was mortified. I mean, I had become to live as if that was true because if you remember my name, my maiden name was Daggett. And people used to tease me. They would call me faggot. Maggot. And so I didn't know that that would hurt me. I had hardened myself. Now, he carried on with the lesson. As I was preparing for this this morning, I thought, oh, the irony of that lesson, that the pastor calls me a wicked girl with harsh words, not even kind of abiding to his, his rules. Now, I'm sure he never realized how much that hurt me. I think the saddest thing that I felt was that they didn't ask me why I put my hand up, why I agreed that that was the case. And I never told anybody. <laughs> I didn't even tell my parents. Um, so I kept it all to myself. But I remember over the next years feeling well if the vicar thinks you're a wicked girl then God must think you're a wicked girl so trying to be good all the time never mess up never make a mistake and uh, over the years the Lord's kind of healed me and helped me with that one but just realizing the little offhand things that we say sometimes we have no idea what that does to people um, I don't. I could go on. I don't know. Thank you. So, in a way, it was out of the pain of being called names. Carol had steeled herself to to be convinced that you mustn't let words hurt you. But of course, they do, and we take on messages. Now, unlike conviction of sin, which is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's very specific, condemnation just comes in this general, vague sense and leaves us frustrated because there's actually no way to deal with it. 
It doesn't pinpoint anything. It just seeks to tear us down in terms of our worth as a human being. You'll never amount to anything. You are no good. You're a bad girl. You'll never change. It leads to hopelessness, left to itself, to discouragement and gloom. And I just believe there's so many in our culture that are in that place. Because we wrestle with it, let's face it. But what God has done for us supremely in Christ Jesus is to separate who we are from what we do. Hallelujah. The prodigal, he was his son. You're his sons and daughters. That will never change. His love for us is not based upon our performance, our being good enough. Therefore, the antidote for shame and condemnation is, because it's based upon a lie, is to gratefully receive the truth. To live in gratitude for who God declares us to be and receive that willingly. And for that, we have to reject the lie. We have to be sensitive and aware of the devil's schemes and learn to reject those with others' help. And I always feel this is why the relational need of approval is so powerful in our culture and it is so missing in our families of origin. Words spoken over us that call out, as you like to say, the gold, that affirm us for the good, the blessing that God has put into us, the character, the traits, the passions, the desires. Because shame just creeps into our bones from all of these sources, whether it's comparison, criticism, neglect, our love being tied to performance. Well, if only you did better, if only you got good grades, even abuse, control, perfectionism. Sometimes even the other person who's offended us, refusal to take responsibility, we take that on. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who, in witnessing their parents' divorce as young children, felt it was their fault. Because we do that as children. Therefore, we must deserve it. Some of the things that we then do, which can often be rooted in shame, include things like our own self-directed anger. We get angry at ourselves our self-initiated fear, our self-blame, our self-abuse, the struggle we have to receive from other people, to believe that they would genuinely care that much about us. We become reluctant to give to other people because we perhaps feel they wouldn't want to receive from us anyway. That's been a part of my journey. We're reluctant to be vulnerable with our needs. Because surely that's another deficiency and I'm already bad enough. It's hard for us to admit mistakes because we beat ourselves up already. It's hard to forgive ourselves and we contend to condemn others because we, we do that to others at the point of our own struggle and brokenness. We can even find ourselves reluctant to serve or to forgive others. I had a conversation with my dad this week. Uh, it was the day after his 66th wedding anniversary. 
and uh, the previous day he'd uh, gone to my brother's um, with my with his daughter-in-law, my, my brother's wife, and his two sons and their their uh, their girlfriends, and they'd they'd had a celebration meal. Well, my dad wasn't feeling well, um, which is unusual for him. But he'd actually just had eye surgery. He'd had laser surgery to scrape off scars on his eye. He's 94 years old, and uh, it, it had kind of really badly affected him. So he arrived at this dinner and he's, and he was, he's telling me this story. He's been quite vulnerable with me. And he said, I just didn't feel like even being there. They gave me a glass of champagne. I took one sip of that and the acidity just made me feel sick. They served scallops, I think. And I just, I couldn't bear to be around it. And then there was steak. And in his shame, he kept all that hidden. He said, what do you got to Put your best foot forward, stick your chin out and do what you can, don't you? And I felt really sad at that moment because he missed connecting deeply, being known. He was afraid if he said that, his daughter-in-law would be upset because she'd gone to all this work. And so we remain hidden in our shame. And they would have cared for him deeply and taken the pressure off. You know, God has taken the pressure off. He's taken it off. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus speaks the word to the woman in adultery that the law said actually she and the male offender should be stoned but only she was there. I do not condemn you. You see God isn't in the condemning business. He's in the lifting up business. Receive it. Receive the truth some encouragement for you as to how we deal with our shame or condemnation. Don't deal with it alone. Don't try and get it all resolved on your own. It's one of the reasons I'm like a broken record. Well, there's several things I sound like a broken record, but with some of the guys we had breakfast, I'm saying, be in an accountable relationship where you are deeply known and you can foster trust and you experience love for one another. And there's some kind of challenge with that. What, you mean we've got to tell each other we love each other? We're guys. But I think we're called to covenant-loving friendships with the Lord and with each other. And it's transformational. But don't try to deal with shame alone. Share the struggle. Expose the lie. Because you can't see the truth sometimes and you need somebody else to reveal it through the Holy Spirit. So identify where you struggle. You see, this is a great challenge. We've got to understand, like Carol said, nobody bothered to ask why. Do we take the time to ask why of one another and of ourselves? Where does my sense of inferiority come from? Why do I struggle so much to forgive myself when it says God forgives me? Why do I feel I can't do anything right so I never try anything new? Why do I not feel like I deserve receiving the gift? Try to understand the root and the lie that has attached itself. And for that we need others. And we need especially the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth. He will always lead us towards connection and fullness and approval. Thirdly, having identified the lie... Oh no. Anyway, let's go about that. <laughs> um, when, we, when we discover that ultimately the lie is always going to be rooted in pain... This is why I'm, I'm encouraging us to become both 
more understanding and wise about processing our pain, but also become people of greater compassion because if we all get serious about dealing with our pain, we are going to need some compassionate folk around us. But we belong to the Father of all compassion. But having exposed the lie, having experienced the compassion of another, we then have the job of taking a hold of truth. And this is not a passive thing. This is a proactive thing. We have got to learn to see, believe and trust in the Word of God. The truth. Even though everything else seems to point in the opposite direction. And this comes out of our brokenness and our struggle to do that and say, Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. And He will. He will. He wants you. He wants you to do this. He's not standing by and saying, come on, you can do it. Get up, get up, get up. He gets in the ditch with us. And He lifts us. I'm thankful for that. And then on Wednesday at our Bible study, we've started a new tack. And you're welcome to come and join us if you, if you can. And, and I talked about we, we need sources of light in our lives because darkness is encroaching all the time. And that comes through repeated encounters with Jesus, experiencing his word, not just studying it, but experiencing it as truth for me, and engagement with his people because those are all sources of light and we're exploring what that looks like. And then gratefully receive the truth that God accepts, separates your identity from your behavior. Yes, he sees what you did, but he loves you nonetheless. And he's going to help you get better. And he doesn't hold your arm's length until you do. He says, come along. You belong. And as we're released from our shame, then, boy, do we have a message. You won't need people like me to tell you to go out and share the good news. Nothing will stop you. There will be an energy and a renewal that comes upon us when we are freed from the lie that holds us back and the, the life of God flows in us and through us. But we've got to keep coming back to that place of being reminded of who we are. I am and therefore I can. So I've got a song. No, I'm not going to sing it. You'll be pleased to know. <laughs> but I'm going to play a video here. It's called Remind Me Who I Am. It's a beautiful song. It's a powerful song. And I want you to make this a prayer as you're listening to it. Sing it if you would like. But allow it to take root in your life. And allow the Holy Spirit to bring a renewal of the truth, I think, that comes through this message together. Okay. Remind us, Lord. Speak to our hearts in the deepest recesses of who we are and how we see ourselves, that you delight in us and love us deeply, passionately, and always have and always will do. Would you like to stand? Now God has put around you His Beloved. And He's put you around them to tell them that. And we need to get better at doing this than the other stuff speaking of how God sees one another. So Lord, we're thankful for one another. Thank you that you put us in a body, in a community, and you're doing a work among us. And we ask that you would break the power of the lies we have believed and reveal your truth. Heal 
our wounded hearts, Lord, that we might hold and release your great love and your truth, not just for ourselves, but our families and our communities, and for the glory of your name in this world. Let this be a new day, Lord. I had a sense that the Lord wants to kind of establish a beachhead of progress in us and among us as a community for the, the next phase of what he's doing. Now receive the truth. Receive his love. Allow the spirit of, the tr- of truth to impart this and to plant this deeply in your heart. His word, his truth, his love for you. And he's made you a life giver. He's blessed you to be a blessing. He's spoken words of love and called you beloved, that you would speak that to others for his name. And we thank you, Lord. And I encourage you, when we come and we're going to gather around this table, which is another reminder of our belonging and our participating in the love and life of God, and the table to which all are invited, all are welcome, there will also be people here to pray with you. And if this is a particular area of struggle for you, or if you're in a place of struggling with guilt, take that opportunity to be prayed with and prayed for. But in the meantime, let's just take a few moments, turn to one another, and remind each other who we are in Him. Whatever the Lord gives you for a person or a people, just share a word of love, of affirmation, of approval, of appreciation, whatever it may be. And let's bless one another. Okay.